0: That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over a hundred casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No the by law. 80 plus and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
2: A Scottish football podcast that isn't obsessed with just two teams? Niche nonsense? Or surprisingly brilliant? You decide. The Terrace Scottish Football Podcast. The cult Scottish football podcast now adapted into a hit TV show. Search the Terrace Scottish Football Podcast on your chosen podcast player now. Tell you what, that
1: Tiger Woods is a dog's bollocks, isn't he? (laughs) mixed race, you see. Part Afro-American, part white man, part Dutch, and part Vietnamese. And then four different races have combined to produce the perfect golfer. And still so young. The Afro-American, right, that's his natural grace for his driving, right? The Vietnamese for when he's in the rough. You got me? <laughs> All the jungles and that, a network of tunnels. The Dutch in it makes him laid back for his temperament. And the white man means he can get on the course in the first place.
0: <laughs> For one night only, Simon Day and Friends, the brilliant character comic from The Fast Show, Brian Pern, and currently down the line on Radio 4. Saturday, June the 13th. Tickets only £5, and watch from the comfort of your living room. For tickets, go to biletto.co.uk and search Simon Day and Friends now. Hello and welcome to Footballist at the Arsenal. Um, I'm Boyd Hilton. He is Josh Landy. Hi, Josh.
2: Boyd, great to be back again. Another one in yeah. lockdown. It is 26th
0: of May. Now, um, we've engineered it perfectly so that this isn't just you and me droning on about the greatest day in football history uh, 31 years ago in 1989. We've also got a very special guest who was intimately involved in the glorious moment when Arsenal beat them two 0 Mr. Perry Groves, welcome, Perry.
1: Hello, chaps. Intimately makes it sound very clandestine. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you
0: came on the seventy-sixth minute in a non-clandestine way, um, and and you were a key element of the rest of that game. I feel
1: so, uh, very glad to say So you must have done your coaching badges because uh, <laughs> I took the whole I took the whole back four away just to create the space for. Michael Thomas. And exactly. I've got to say, yeah, I've, um, I've watched it on ITV. They showed you know quite extensive highlights of the game. Yeah. And I, I've, I hadn't watched it in its entirety before. I've always obviously watched the goals and seen a few highlights. I'd never sat down and watched the game. And I can just remember having the raving up because Martin A's come on before me. <laughs> and I was like absolutely devastated thinking I was warming up past George Graham like I was like a juggler. So I could just ca- catch his off, <laughs> thinking, why have you put AJ on and not me first? So there was a little bit of frustration there, but I just wanted to yeah. get on the pitch and Oops. see if I could like, um, contribute basically.
0: Absolutely. I'm, I, I funny enough. I remember very clearly listening to it. I was listening to it on the radio and when they announced that Martin Hayes was coming on, I was absolutely astonished that he was coming on ahead of you. I have to say, as I believe a lot of fans were, because obviously you had the pace and everything. Um, and, you know, it just felt natural for you. If anyone's was going to come on, it should be you. Josh, what are you going to say?
2: Now, I was only going to ask Perry. Like, I've known you for, you know, a number of years, seven, eight years now. Is this the day you you get asked about most? And do you mind that? Or actually just feel incredibly proud that this is what people uh, really want to talk about?
1: No, Josh, it's terrible. People keep asking about, you know, being on the pitch with your boyhood club. One of the greatest <laughs> things in life. Um, <laughs> So I would say English football history because obviously it was the old First Division then. So and then they sometimes people ask us about the Cup Final '97 and then the season in '91 and different games, but um, that is that's an iconic game. Obviously we're massive gooners, so we can we're going to be accused of being biased, which you can understand. But that uh, that is the greatest finish ever in English football history, and I know that people say about Man City, didn't know the Aguero incident, with, but they were playing QPR like, bottom of the league, Manchester United were playing Sunderland, so those two teams couldn't um, hinder each other. Do you know what I mean? They couldn't stop each other from mm. winning the title, whereas this one, uh, obviously, you could. And it actually, as goonies which we all are, but that game went a long way to just completely transform the football in mean, English football, because so I think it was watched by sev- different, you know, figures, 17 million, 15 million on ITV, and I think it made football become... Um, enjoyable and trendy again, and it, then I think TV executives looked at it and thought, "Wow, we can get these figures watching, you know, like our national sport." So, as drama, yeah. it's, it's unscripted. You know, it's and it's unprecedented.
0: I think you're absolutely right because that sh- cause that game ended up being on prime time, ITV almost like by default because it had been delayed to the last to be the last game of the season because of Hillsborough. It ended up being this huge TV event as well as being a massive. Um, football account and I think you're absolutely right it totally transformed the way people thought about football and there was a, I think part of that was the dignity of the of, of the team coming out and laying the wreaths first and all of that and the emotion of it, it was like, it had emotion and drama uh, as well, didn't it and I think it's easily the greatest ending to a, to a football season ever. there's not even any question, I mean I think the whole, yeah, I mean, everything else is a, is a red herring so I'm glad that you've, you've, you have you've like talking about it because Josh, in fact, when we were in the, in the build-up, we talk about, you know, on WhatsApp we talk about what we're going to ask our guests and Josh basically said to me, The challenge is to not ask the same questions he's been asked every single time before. Right. So, my, fir- my first question is, um, You were wearing, I do believe you were wearing the smallest and tightest shorts of anyone in the team in that game. Is that fair? Yep. Yeah.
1: Well, the thing is, it, was, it wasn't a fashion statement, <laughs> it, was just, it was pure vanity because um, I was known for having a, a massive uh, backside before massive backsides were trendy, you know, <laughs> and fastball like the Kardashians, but mine was yeah. natural. And it was a proper yeah. gluteus maximus. And, like, I was a... Really, I was a size 36 in shorts. And in those days, that was a no-no. You couldn't... So I used to squeeze into size uh, 34s. So that's why they looked so tight. And there was a bit of chafing going on in the side. I used to put a lot of Vaseline on my inner thighs because they used to be they used to, <laughs> that was so tight. They used to rub on the inner thighs. So, um, but, I would, yeah, it was just, if you looked at most of the shorts, were quite tight in those days. But I think it was just the size of my... Um, and my rump
0: that accentuated it i'm so glad i asked that the question yeah you definitely you had a magnificent rump if you don't mind me saying it, yeah and i guess that's partly due to your, your incredible pace i mean it must have all to do with that your running was extraordinary and in fact when you came on i was because I I, I I did the same as you i watched the game when itv showed it on saturday and what i did and you're everyone's working really hard but you are working so hard as soon as you come on do you do you remember like thinking well not only have I got to try and contribute in <laughs> attacking sense to try and get this fight, this goal, but also, like, you were all over the place, it seemed to me.
1: Yeah, well, I, I think that was that was what I did. I was, as you said, my, my main asset was my pace, and um, and I went to the Gooners as a winger, and I was, <laughs> and George Graham played me left wing when I was a right winger, so I lied and said that, you know, when I made my debut, that I played a year and a half on as left winger. <laughs> I didn't, I've never played there. And then he put me up front, uh, when Charlie Nicholas got injured, you know, in earlier on in my career at the Goonies in eighty six, eighty-seven. And I've never played centre forward. And um, I think what did me a favour in that period of time was I was uh, very flexible. I could play right wing, I could play left wing, I could play up front. So as a squad player, um, that that was per s as there was only before um that season there was only ever one sub. And then obviously the two subs come into um, a trial, I think, it was eighty-seven, eighty-eight um, in the in the Leitwoods Cup. So that did me a favour. In that if I wasn't in the team, I always had a great chance. And, and people say, "Oh, you was Arsenal so, but, and I don't know. I was like playing for the best team in the country. Do you know I mean in, with the squad yeah. of fifteen, sixteen? So for me to get in the twelve was a battle because they were all, everybody else is internationals. I think apart from Kevin Richardson. Um, and then if I got in the starting eleven. That was, you know, say so you're getting in the starting eleven of the, the best team in the country. So, And my job was, was to run around, was to get in behind full-backs, to drag centre-halves out of the way, to put them under pressure. And then when we weren't in possession, my job was to close people down. Um, and I can remember the gaffer, George Graham, he gave me a tape. Um, remember the days of videotape? <laughs> so yeah. He gave me a, a videotape to watch. And it was of Ian Rush. And he gave me a tape, and he said, Grovesy, if you're going to play up front, I want you to study this of Ian Rush. He said, don't worry about the finishing, because you're never, ever going to get that level. He said, I'm not showing you for the goals. He said, I'm showing you for the way that he closes down. And one of Ian Rush's strengths that people forget, because he was such a fantastic goal scorer, was the way that, and the angle that he ran, and the way that he closed down full backs, and he, you know, pressured centre-halves. And that was all what we were about back in, like, in George Graham's era, was... Pressing and there's a disp- the new trend, is it? Everyone goes, oh, they put, put the high press on. And we're thinking, yeah, we were doing that in 1986. Do you know what I mean? So that's nothing yeah. new. But that was my job was to be a nuisance, basically.
2: So, just Perry, there. You talk about the the squad. I think it was only 17 different players that appeared that season, certainly in the league. And by the time you take out Niall Quinn and Gus Caesar, a couple of appearances each, there's basically 15 of you playing for the season. So. It's just a, you know, unimaginably a tight bond that you must have between that small group of you. Like when, I think it was last year, Boyd, we were we were there at Arsenal as well for the dinner that Arsenal put on. It, yeah. Is that kind of the bond with those people greater than any other side?
1: Um, I think what happened was with when, uh, George, when the gaffer went there, uh, he was going to completely revamp Arsenal. You know, it was going to be the evolution, right, get rid of... A lot of the big name stars, you know, on Big Money: uh, Charlie Nicholas, Kenny Sansom, Viv Anderson, um, Steve Williams. Um, and he wanted to change the culture. And if you look at the team, there would uh, you'd say that there was probably six or seven of his signings in there, plus the young lads had come through. You know, like obviously Tony Adams and uh, Rocky, Mickey Thomas, Merce, uh Lukey was already there, but the other ones: Nigel, Baldy, Lee Dixon obviously myself, Kevin Richardson, Alan Smith, they were all George Graham signings and he wanted hunger and he wanted desire and he wanted um, maybe we were a little bit rough on the edges sometimes and maybe we weren't technically when we first started off as good as the players that he got rid of but he knew that we had that hunger and that burning desire to improve and he moulded us and, he, and the, the bond came through nobody uh, being bigger than the team. Uh, if you look Alan Smith won two golden boots and he probably won the most underestimated centre-forwards, you know, in top flight football. And he was scoring 24, 26 goals a year without penalties. One of the most down-to-earth people you could ever wish to meet. There was no, if you look in there, there was no superstars off the pitch, but there was superstar performances on it from different players. I mentioned David Rodecastle there. You know, he best right side midfielder in the country in his, in his day. And unfortunately, he played where I wanted to play. So I was, I was like Rocky stump, man. Uh, Brian Marwood, who I didn't mention, who didn't play in the game, but he had a brilliant season that season on the left like on the left wing. So um, it, it's a weird thing as well because in this modern age, we're all on a WhatsApp, it's the boys of 89, we're all on the WhatsApp group. So it's really good that we all can keep in contact with each other. Um, and there is a, a, a bond there. And, you know, when people say, like, friends in football, you know, they're empty clothes, pegs and move on. But we have, they are my mates. Do you know what I mean? They are, yeah. you know, what we went through together, and especially that special that night and for other seasons, going into 1991. Yeah, there is a bond. There. And the Tuesday Club helped that as well, boys. Trust me, Tuesday Club mm. went, <laughs> went some way to, you know, cementing that bond.
0: <laughs> I bet, yeah. Did you, when, so did you, you said uh, that watching it on Saturday when ITV showed it was one of the first times you've watched it back. So, did you all, in the WhatsApp group, did you all... You must have talked about the fact that he was being shown on primetime TV for the first time in... Um, since it, no, since it to on, be huh? honest,
1: no, because I think it oh, was okay. on... The, the 89 DVD was shown on yeah. the sky, wasn't it, about yeah, it four was. weeks ago. Yeah. Um, we just all um, WhatsApped each other uh, last night, because it was shown on IT again last night, and then at midnight I just sent out Happy 31st, like, you know, and then there was just a few thumbs up and all that sort of stuff, so... Um, and it was it was just an incredible. Inc- when you watch it, we actually I didn't realise we actually played quite well. A lot of people said we were defensive <laughs> in the first half, um, but our our defensive uh, structure, considering we'd never played three centre halves, we always played boys. You'd watch a lot of games, Josh. you had a lot of go. We always played four four two. That was that was our remit. That was yeah. the way that we scored and we were moulded. Uh, and for him to the gaffer to change it to three centre halves was a big a big call, but an absolute genius call. I talk about, you know, the tacticians style of like Guardiola and Jurgen Klopp and Mourinho. George Graham was up there with, with them, trust me. It's just the way that he tweaked it. And I can remember we sat down on the Wednesday after Liverpool had beaten uh, West Ham five one on the Tuesday night and we all went into training at London Coney. We all sat down, I'd phoned Murph on that thing called landlines. Remember those? particular telephones on the landlines. Yeah, on the Tuesday. yeah. Yeah, and, um, and said, well, that's us done, we've come second. And we would have been accused as well of bottling it, you know, because we'd been 11 points clear, mm. you know, and we'd drawn at home against Wimbledon, lost against Derby. Um, we went a little period of time in March. We had four home games on the trot and only picked up, I think, four points. So, um, and when he came in, he he was like, so upbeat George Graham because we hadn't trained we we trained very intensely that was our whole thing when he was like the headmaster the training session was very very intense when he was there and he completely eased it down for about eight days because we had a 10-day break you know between our last game and that game on the um on the Friday and uh, he came he said "See, it was great result last night lads he said a brilliant result for us and we were looking at each other thinking has he gone mad Mean a great result, we've got to go and beaten by two clear goals. He said, So, what we're going to do? He said, going to go three centre halves. And then we looked at each other and we couldn't work it out quick enough. Go, Well, wait a minute, we were like looking at each other, going, Well, shouldn't you play an extra forward? You know, what I mean, we've got to win by two goals. Why are we playing extra centre half? That's a little bit defensive. Even he do not think we can win. And he's like, No, he said, What we've got to do is we've got to get in nil nil at half time. He said, If we get in nil nil at half time. He said, the momentum will change. We'll make a goal, and trust me, from then on, I really fancy this. Then I'll take chances. I'll put AZ on, I'll put Groves on, then we'll go for it. And I can remember we all went away. Theo Foley took us away for our warm-up. And we, we we all started doing chicken impressions as if the gaffer had lost his head. Do you know what I mean? We were <laughs> like, what's the matter with your mate? Is, was he was out last night. And he went, and Theo was like, boys, he really fancies it. He said, he really fancies us to with the free centre-isles with Nigel and uh, Dicko pushing on, you know, onto Ray Houghton and John Barnes. He said he, he he really... And I've got to be honest, I thought and all the players thought that we could go there and win. But by two clear goals, we didn't think it... You know, you could beat Liverpool. But Anfield, I think they hadn't sc- uh, lost by two clear goals at home for about three years, from what I can remember. Um, and I think as well, guys, you, you probably would remember that earlier on in the season... We'd gone to Anfield in the League Cup in the Littles' Cup and drawn 1-1. And David Rycastle scored an absolute world. He pinged it in the top corner. And we completely outplayed him and should have beaten 3-1, 3-4-1. And that gave us a little bit of belief, a bit of psychology, that we weren't intimidated at going to Anfield. You know, much like people are now going, teams are now going to Anfield. So there was all these things in the mix, you know, like sort of subconsciously, consciously. Um, but we did believe we could win. But the two goals really was a bit of a stretch, to be honest.
0: Did you think? What did you think when you, when that, apart from the, the three central defenders thing, which was incredible? What did you think when you, when the team was announced? And how, how long in advance did you know that you were going to be on the bench?
1: Oh yeah, I knew. I, I wasn't. Um, I know I weren't going to start because quite rightly, Merson Smutch were um, the the two main strikers, um, and then because. I do I gone if we'd got four four two I might have had a chance of playing on the left side of the four. Um nice. but as soon as he, I knew he was gonna play the extra centre half with Dave O'Leary, I knew it was gonna be uh, I wasn't gonna play. And then it was just like, I'd better be on the bench. Do you know what I mean? I can't I'm I do not be traveling up in me blazer and, and not getting changed here and then he said like, I'm gonna go two forwards. So, you know, then you think, Oh, at least I'm am gonna be involved, I've got a chance to um, you know, sort of contribute, which was great. Um and then again, all this psychology stuff in, in football at the top level of any sport, it, the, the psychological and your mental strength is a lot. And we went, we travelled up on the day of the game, on the Friday morning, and yeah. we all thought that the club would be in cheap skates because they didn't want to put its hotel the night before, or they didn't they didn't think we had a chance of winning, so go up, come back, we ain't going spend any money. But the gaffer had read a book. I think it's called The Naked Ape by Desmond Morris. Yes. And it's about uh, apes and gorillas and their territory and how they comp- you know, could control the territory and the intimidatory uh, sort of thing that they use. And he didn't want us going up to Liverpool the night before the game and checking in hotel and all the uh, Liverpool fans, and all the scouts, going, oh, you're useless coming up soft and soft as you're going to get battered tomorrow, like winging around me. And blah. He didn't want all that negativity seeping into us. So he wanted to get up there. We had a pre match meal at the Atlanta, I think it's Atlanta Tower. Go to bed, have a rest, have a sleep, get up, go and play. So we didn't experience any negativity around us. So again, like he was so forward thinking, you know, and so cerebral, like George Graham. Mm. Um, He deserves all the credit. He mapped it out, as all brilliant leaders do, he mapped it out completely. Cooler Kings are made in limited numbers, yet highly affordable. Check them out now on the web at cooler.bike or find them on Instagram with hashtag CoolerKingBike. Cooler.bike. E-bikes that are cool AF.
0: I'm Jeff, and on my
2: 40th birthday, I decided to give up drinking for a year. And I'm Matt, Jeff's drinking friend. And I'm not happy about it. Can I do a year sober? More to the point, will you be really dull? Will I still get invited out? And do you have to drink to be my friend? What am I going to drink instead?
0: Welcome to Wet and Dry, a new podcast about sobriety, midlife crisis, male drinking culture, pubs and friendship. I was also going to ask you, when you watched it back then, um, and you heard the commentary, for example, um, which David Pleat was the kind of pundit. And I remember when when you come on in the 76th minute, he starts saying, quite a few times, he starts saying, well, this is giving Liverpool more space. And you can sense in what he's saying, he doesn't think, he thinks it's over, I feel, like, in the commentary. Absolutely. Yeah. What was that like, to watch you back
1: listening to the commentary? (laughs) Laughing my head off, because, no, I'll tell you why, honestly, because he couldn't, the bias that he had, he, he tried not to be biased, but it, Kept saying, Oh, Liverpool have been professional, you know, in the season they've had. And, um, all right, there's a bit of, he said, a bit of um, ironic justice that Arsenal come in one, but Liverpool have been the best team all season. Blah, blah, Bobby Robson was the England manager, like, even beforehand, I think it was Elton Wellsby, wasn't it, who was doing the, um, yeah. the anchoring. And yeah. Bobby Robson said to him, Well, Arsenal come out, he said, they're going to have to go gung ho, they're going to have to go at Liverpool, and it's going to suit Liverpool because they let him on the break. And you think two eminent managers have read it, read it completely wrong. England like, manager yeah. and, and David Pleat obviously managing that mob up the road, completely read it wrong, and ha- and even as the game was panned out, even David Pleat didn't suss what our game plan was, and it was just I just didn't think it was very good pundery to be honest because um, he could have seen and he was at the game he should have seen when Alan Smith scored off his nose, he should have uh, heard that the whole uh, atmosphere in the stadium changed from party ish to tents. And I was obviously watching and warming up. I was like um, doing cartwheels plus, plus, plus George Graham, trying to get him on the get him to get me on the pitch. I was like chuckling and the sand, any danger, trying to catch his eye. But I looked at all of the Liverpool players' faces when Smudge scored and we kicked off. And the tension went into their faces. Steve McMahon and John Barnes and Alan Hanson, You're talking about seasoned internationals who had won title after title. Then the realisation was actually, we could, this is, we could lose this year. And I don't think even before, kickoff, even before kickoff they had any thought that they might lose. Do you know what I mean? There was no, yeah. um, you know, like, oh, this lad, this lot found themselves. So I think they might have underestimated us a little bit. And the, the, the game, say, when Smudge scored, the game changed completely. We had a little lift, a little bit of belief. Then obviously they had that little bit of self-doubt. Um and then he made his, you know, his, his uh, substitution, which he said he would, to be more positive. Um, and like Tomo had that great chance, didn't he, about ten minutes before, uh, when Ken Richmond put a great ball through, I think Steve McMahon's legs on the edge of the box. And normally you get one chance at Anfield. Do you know what I mean? You think, oh, yeah. is that it? But our belief didn't wait, didn't waver, and Michael Thomas's belief didn't waver. So, um, so I, I must admit. Listening to the commentary, especially David Peter, it gives me a wry smile. <laughs> i <I'm> just making <laughs> laugh and thinking, how wrong in 10 minutes could you be? Do you know what I mean?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Perry, I noticed actually just watching some of the clips on Sky and Ray Houghton speaking about the expectation that Arsenal would go very attacking and come on to them. Did, did the fact that Liverpool, well, you must have realised Liverpool hadn't prepared for what George had prepared that must have given some confidence just in itself that that there was some level of unpredictability to the whole thing.
1: Yeah, but I I think as well, as we thought when George Graham was talking to us, you know, giving the team talk on the Wednesday, I think they looked at the team sheet when it had gone in with the three centre-halves thinking, they've come up here for damage limitation. (laughs) That's what, do you know what I mean? If you put an extra defender in, that's probably what you would think. You know, that we're going ultra-defensive, But there was a a complete method and a plan and a tactical plan that Gaffer had set out for us. And to be fair, the players have to be good enough to carry that tactical plan out. You know what I mean? You you have to be top players to take on that information, to go from 4-4 closing down to, no, we're going to be a bit tight here. We're not going to give anything away. You know, say play the free centre-halves, the free in midfield. So um, I think that probably surprised them a little bit as well. Um, But we were... uh, we didn't realise at the time, but we were we were a mentally we were a physically strong team because you know, as you probably saw in the ball Old Trafford in 19, uh, 1991 <laughs> where we weren't going to take any stick from anybody going up north because the perception before was southern softies. You know, if you went to Old Trafford, you went to Anfield, but um, but we were that was a mentally strong group as well um, with that desire, and we were like. Obviously, the gaffers, robots, We were like his disciples. We we carried out what he told us to do to a T. And I said before, there was no stars. There was no one going rogue and doing their own thing.
0: And do, what was your view, Perry, of the goal of of Mickey Thomas's goal? Like, where were, you know, where were you on the pitch, and what do you remember about seeing that? Do you remember seeing the moment, and, and kind of what, what you what you were feeling at that moment?
1: If I if I go back, I tell you what. Listen in, in, in me, and you know, the move sort of transpires, but. <laughs> the, the, the thing that's amazing with the goal, Michael Thomas's finish, is the best finish ever in Arsenal's history, and probably in football because of what it meant and you know and the pressure and the time. And but if Kevin Rich and John Barnes had the the ball in the right hand side, now he doesn't run the ball <clears throat> into the corner these days. Yeah. he would have got hammered for not wasting time in the corner. And he, John Barnes, actually tries to score. Kevin Richmond, robs him, little chicken legs. He robs him. <laughs> And then rolls it back to John Lukic. And from then on, everything goes into muscle memory. And the goal where Lukic throws it out to Lee Dixon, Lee Dixon puts it into smudge. Smudge shows short. Then that means I have to go long in behind, which I'll go out onto the right wing. Michael Thomas then supports. That move, that passage of play, we've done thousands of times, thousands of times in training. Um, we, we call shadow play, and you know, in practice games, where full-back, your first look is, where you give it to the, you go into the first centre forward, second centre forward, then the winger, if not into midfield. So Lee Dixon has to make the right choice. Alan Smith has to do the right uh, run, where he goes short. I have to do the run where I go in behind him to drag the whole back four away. Because as like you said before, boy, they knew where the danger was, so they obviously came with me. So I go out yeah. to the, the right wing. Michael Thomason has to support as the midfield player is closest. He has to get close to Smudge, which he does. Smudge lays it off. There's a little ricochet, obviously, that Tomo gets. But that move, and it, it does my head in. When you hear, you know, some players say, oh, the training's boring. You know, and I'm, I'm fed up of training. We did the same thing. Monday, Tuesday, off Wednesday, Thursday, we did the same training sessions over and over and over again. And that paid come to fruition in that move. Because even though the finish is brilliant, which it is absolutely fantastic, if the f- the other three players don't do their bit first, you don't get to that bit. You know what I mean? So at the top level yeah. of any sport, you yeah. have to do the right thing at the right time. And I remember being out on the right wing, like trying to drag Hans away, which he came a little bit, then turning him round and see the ricochet, and see Tomo. And it seems I can remember it now, and I've got the hairs at the back of my neck—not my head, because I ain't got any hair on my—but on the back of my neck to stand up now because <clears throat> it seemed like slow motion. And Tomo, if you look at him, he takes his time. He takes his time. He has got Ray Houghton behind him, and Hanson's coming across. Steve Nichols come across, and I'm just shouting. Obviously, I'm not going to swear, but you can imagine what's going on. For it, just for Tomo, shoot for God, you're going to. What do you do it like? going, and it slowed down, slowed down, and then then you think he's going to get tackled. The idiot's going to get tackled. He's, he's going to, and then he yeah. waits. And if you look at it, he waits, and he waits for Bruce Grobler, just to go to his right hand, just off balance. And Bruce Grobler thought that he'd had him. If you talk to Bruce Grobler now, he thought he'd had him. Ray Houghton, Ray Houghton says that he was going to bring Tomo down, that he remembered he missed a chance, so he think he's going to bottle it. And he just flicks it. it is, it's like he was playing a practice game at London Cone. He just flicks it over him, and then I can remember thinking, "Oh my good god, he's scored! He's actually, oh my god, he scored!" And then I ran to the Arsenal fans you know, down in the far corner on the right-hand side. I should have gone to where Hazy and Tomo and Nigel runs behind the goal. Like if I was better media trained, I'd have been in loads of photos. I'd have gone. I'd have gone Tomo. <laughs> but, um, uh-huh. but I didn't. I just lost it and dived in the corner with the fans. Uh-huh. And yeah. that exa- that the the joy the it's a, like a brain explosion. It's very difficult. And I haven't scored. <laughs> I mean, so God knows what Tomo must have felt like. It, um, but then for him to put himself in the position, I can't reiterate this enough, the mental strength that he showed, <clears throat> the heart, because he'd missed the chance earlier, if Tomo would have missed that, everybody would... it would be like Gordon Smith for Bright. And everybody remembered that Michael Thomas missed the chance to win Arsenal the title. Do you know what I mean? So for him to put yeah. himself in that position and and weight as well. And the composure was incredible. And, and Merce and myself have talked about it quite a bit. And it couldn't have fallen for a better a better player psychologically. Because if Tomo would have missed, it wouldn't have ruined his life. Do you know what I mean? He'd have been disappointed yeah. upset. If someone like me would have missed on Merce, would have thought about it for an, uh, on the hour every hour, you know, the rest of your life. If <laughs> you miss a chance like that. So, and then, obviously, then you think, oh, Jesus Christ, we've got another two, three minutes yet, do you know what I mean? we have got better get focused.
2: Yeah. And is George Graham is kind of the calmest man from anyone on, on Arsenal's side? And it, was it impossible to focus for those two minutes? Or was it actually just, you see it in the Liverpool, the famous commentary about the players being down, Deglis just stands there. Was there any sense of, we've got to defend this, or he's like, we've done it now?
1: No, no, there was definitely a, uh, um, Liverpool were like, they had uh, a reputation scoring late goals. So uh, we knew and if you remember as well, they had one last attack and it goes down the right hand side and the ball loops yep. up into the air and it comes to Tomo on the edge of the box and he yep. should be hoofing it over his shoulder. He should be smacking with and you like he he's just brought it down, you think, What are you doing? <laughs> and he flicks it back to like Lukey, like you're like, I'm what like, what Tomo? And then again Lukey smashes it up the pitch, it goes over to Steve Nicholl, and I, run, I I wanted to get booked, I tried to bring him down and like smash into him, one-stop play, but I wanted, in the old days from the FA, if you got booked, you got a letter sent from them, and you used to get three points for a foul, four, um, four points for, um, if it was dissent, you know what I mean, they used to send you a, a letter. So I thought, well, if I can sive him down, I'm going to get a letter from the FA and that'll be priceless. You know, if I can get that framed, i get booked <laughs> in this great game. So, And I miss it. He hurdles me. I miss him completely. And then, obviously, like the whistle goes, um, David Hutchinson, who, by the way, no one said he was brilliant that, that night, the referee, because yeah. he was under yeah. a lot of pressure when Smuts scored. Yeah. So, and then it was like, if you see everybody just runs off in ridiculous Angles, didn't they? In like directions, you just, you just don't know what to do. It's, it's like um, most things in your career, you've been through before, you know. And there's a reference point, but that is not there's no reference point for that. Is it? It's like was carnage. No.
0: And you famously ended up um, after the game going to Winners, is it? The the, um, yep. the nightclub in back in London. And yep. uh, what how much do you remember of that night? Do you remember thinking? Do you remember? Do you remember thinking? I've got to make sure I remember this. Celebration and this night, and you know, I've got to commemorate it. Do you remember, that? or was it just a natural I, kind of?
1: I would like to think that <clears throat> and pretend that I was that deep thinking and thoughtful, but um, we was 20, I was 24, I think Merce was probably 21, 22. Um, then the story about Winners is 100% correct. Where we come down the uh, M6, a flotilla of Arsenal cars alongside the coach, we didn't get above like 30 mile an hour, and they kept a nightclub over. Open called winners. But i just tell you a story where, like, Michael Thomas actually saved, again, obviously made Arsenal's modern history there, but he saved my Arsenal career because earlier in the season, we played QPR at home, and we were beating them 3-0, and I ran through, and I should have squared it to Merce, and he puts it into an empty net, no, to make it 4-0. I didn't. I thought, oh, I'm in front of North Bank. I'll oh, shoot, 3-0, 4-0, who cares? At least I'll score. Hit the inside of the post, comes out. Go in uh, after the game. Obviously, the gaffer's quite happy. One thing you at home. And then he, he says, Groves, what are you doing like that? He said, you've got to go to my I went, gaffer? I said, have a day off. I went, in front of the North Bank? we are seen up. You think I'm <laughs> going to pass? You haven't got upset? go for glory? He went, I'll see you Monday. So we have our hmm. debrief on Monday at London Coney. So the gaffer always, always went through the game. Um, and he said, like the like, back four, yet nice and tight. Like the way he squeezed up midfield. Gave the ball away a little bit too much, but closing down was good. Up front, looked nice and sharp. So he just went through the whole team. And, he went to it and I thought, I've got away with this. And he pointed to his right and he went, and you, he said, if you ever do that again, he said, I'm going to give you the biggest right. I said, and also you want to hope and pray that we don't lose this title on goal difference. Because if we do, you'll never play for this club again. And I'm okay, like, yeah. oh. and <laughs> that all you have allowed to laugh and their heads off, right? They are wetting themselves. Like, gross, <laughs> you're banging trouble. So fast forward to this game, we're coming off the coach. And winners. The coach pulls up. It's like the Beatles. There's loads of fans waiting for us. They're like, you know, nightclubs packed. So me and Mercer, the two last off the coach. So we're like dancing down the, the aisle of the coach. I've got a Arsenal tie around my head. Blazes over our uh, shoulders. Mercer and me are the last two off the coach. Go down the steps at the front of the coach. Mercer like, see you later, gaffer. You said, good, have a good night, boys. She. said, see you later, gaffer. And he said, "Grosy," and I turned around as a, as a coach and he went, George Graham said, he went, um, I bet you're relieved that Tomo scored, aren't you? And I just looked at him and froze and thought, and I got off the coach, I went to Mercer, did you hear that? He went, I can't believe he's remembered. He'd remembered that I'd missed a chance and what he'd said to me <laughs> back in, in against QPR. And that was like, go and enjoy yourself, but you're lucky he scored because you'd have been out of here. <laughs> so that was, that was a, a sliding doors moment for me as well.
0: That is incredible.
1: That is brilliant.
2: Um, John, Josh.
1: Yeah, Perry, I mean, how
2: many people have you met who claimed to be in Winners that night? What percentage of those people do you think were actually there? Because I feel like so many times I've been with you and people have claimed to have been there or a story about who actually got your tie or, or something in the, happened in Winners.
1: Yeah, well, the thing is, it's quite refreshing because Boyd actually said, you listened to it on the radio, you wasn't there. You're one of the few people actually missed that you wasn't there. (laughs) So I think there was like 3,000 Arsenal fans there. When you talk to people, you'd think there was 40,000, which you don't mind, you know, if if it, it means that much to Arsenal fans. In the nightclub itself, in Winners, there was probably, I don't know, there was probably 200, 250 people in there. Um, and you know, there's, it's like sort of the, the myths carry on and the, you know, the, sort of the legend, Oh, we had a drink with this player. We had a drink with that player. I got to be honest. It's a bit of a haze. We were drinking on the coach, you know, coming back, but you can't get really drunk because you're so, I don't know if guys, you've had this experience, but sometimes when you're so high and happy, just on adrenaline, it doesn't matter how much you drink, you you don't get any more drunk. But then on the other side of it, when you're really down, which I add in the little final against Luton, no matter how much you drink, you're so down that you can't get drunk. It, you know, there's, it, it yeah. must be indoor things that are flying around. So um, it's a good story <laughs> after we were in Winners, right? Again, there's no mobile phones in those days. So the reason that we knew that Winners had kept their club open because they got a message through to the police, and then the police, uh, there was a phone on the coach, you know, like the coach driver had a phone at the front. <clears throat> so yeah. he, he knew. So the wives and girlfriends, there was, n- there was no communication. So we just went on the missing list for like 24 hours, whatever. So they must have thought, oh, they're all together. So uh, Merce and myself come out of winners. And we're like, it's probably, I don't know, 6, half 6, 7, half 7 in the morning, thinking, well, what are we gonna, how are we going to get home? With, you know Southgate to London Coney, can we get a cab? So Quinny, Noel Quinn, who obviously travelled trouble, he went, it's not a problem guys, you can stay with me. I've got a little flat just around the corner. So I went, oh, happy days. So uh, me, Merce, and Quinny, go back to Quinny's, like, just two-bedroom, one-bedroom masonette that he's got. <clears throat> and the front door's open, and there's bodies spooled about everywhere. There's probably 12 to 15 bodies lying in his front room, on his set E, in the kitchen, <laughs> uh, in his bed. So I'm like, oh, right, it's a bit weird. I just have a kit. So I have a kit. So... I go into the kitchen after about a couple of hours, and there's a bloke in there making uh, some toast and breakfast. I go, all right, mate, how are you doing? He went, yeah, what about you? All right, really? Not, not a problem. So Quinny comes down looking like a Yeti, and I go, <laughs> Quinny, this is amazing. You've got all your family. We've let them all stay here. So that's, even though you weren't playing, they've come over. He went, I have no idea who these people are. <laughs> I went, what do you mean? They were all, at that time, the M25 was, the last link was Junction 20... Three to 22 at Potter's Bar, which you know that that was the last bit of the m 2 And all these um road workers obviously were from Ireland working on the M25, and then obviously they knew where Quinny lived. And they they were just all these random bodies (laughs) all over his flat, and no no one had a clue who they were. So, and then
0: we we
1: made it, yeah, and then we made our way home. And then we had the open top bus parade on the Sunday, which was amazing.
0: Yeah, what do you? uh was, well, that must have been incredible, the open-top bus parade. I mean, that was like...
1: Again, because it, it was all done so quickly. That we were out, obviously, um, I, 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 think I lived in Colchester then. I didn't get back to Colchester until, I think it was, I don't know, probably uh, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock that Saturday afternoon. And then it was like, have a few drinks uh, locally, and then we're going to go back. Meet up on the Sunday, and you go. There's to be open-top bus parade, and we'd seen as a kid. I'd seen them with the FA Cup in the old days. You know, you mm. saw the open-top bus parade with the FA Cup, and I'm thinking, I'm not being funny. Who's gonna know? Like, is it been again? There's no social media. You know what I mean? You couldn't put it out there, and then obviously word of mouth. We all obviously got on the on the um, on the bus, on the double-decker bus, and then when we came like round to the ground, and uh, without you know, you could go. And beer. I, I think there was probably two hundred, two hundred fifty thousand 250,000 people around, you know, from, yeah. um, yeah. from Highbury going up to Islington and Islington Town And people hang up. A couple of lads actually jumped off two of the trees, hang, and they got on the top of the, um, the double-decker bus where we were all uh, We had all our beers. <sighs> wow. They went, oh, we're really sorry. We went, no, I don't want will have a beer. And they're like, oh, cheers. So they, they jumped Brilliant. off and we let them come round with us. And then we go to Islington Town Hall, um, and then, like, to see these swathes of Arsenal fans hanging from every building, every tree, uh, and I, we was all really drunk, and Tony went out there and did his little speech. I went out there and did the, my old man said, be a Tottenham fellow, and, um, and I thought, I've got them in the palm of my hand. Frank Sinatra doesn't have 250,000 people, like, what's yeah. Right? yeah. And then I remember George Graham, uh, get him... Off of that balcony now. <laughs> I got the. I got the book. <laughs> it was like he's milking it. Get him off. But um, yeah, and being a gooner, it's just amazing. It just yeah, yeah. like. Exactly. Yeah. And when you're in it, you don't. Not that you don't realise, but you just you just go with it. And we were we had nine, eight or nine weeks off, and I think the average weight gain when we came back because they weigh you the last on the on the Thursday before the Friday game. You have an uh, optimum playing weight. So you can, I was like twelve four to twelve seven, and when you come back pre season, anything over for me twelve seven, you got you got fined a hundred pound a pound. Wow. So um, back then I was only on like front of fifty a week, so that could be quite a lot. And then when we come back, the average weight gain was nine and a half pounds. Wow! The has been on it completely all summer. Yeah, no,
0: um, just listening, up listening to you talk about that that game and that everything about it for, for hours and then. But there a couple of other things to, to mention to you before we wrap up. One is talking of um, Merson. Have you been watching? I know you're still good friends with him. Um, have you been watching that Harry's Heroes series on ICV where they gather the old England players and get them back, try and get them back yeah. in some kind of shape? It was weird, wasn't it, watching it? Like I don't know what you thought watching it. Must be weird watching your mate and watching David Seaman and uh, uh, Ray Parler in it. It's just a weird show. Particularly, I was incredulous at the bit where they play the naked German team, and uh, David Seaman goes off in a half and he's furious about the whole thing.
1: Yeah, well, to be fair, it looked a bit cold in there, didn't it? When they were playing the (laughs) naked team, I'll give that a miss, I think. But um, it's—I actually think they did it quite well. To be fair, Um, Mm -hmm. Merce has done unbelievably well. I'm in contact with him; he hasn't had a drink or a bet for coming into about 13 months now, so his life is in a far better place. Um, you know, for himself physically and like sort of mentally. And I think obviously the, the incident with, with Razor Ruddock, which they would have thought, obviously this is TV gold. Cause it wasn't scripted. you know what I mean? It wasn't, you know, like acted out. It was true. Like he, Razor said to him, pick that door. I'll throw you through it. And Merce was doing it out of general concern for Razor. You know what I mean? Because he could see yeah. that he was having these problems and they, they go back, you know, for, for years and years that when they were kids. So, um, that was pretty raw, um, like, and I spoke to Merce since, and he actually said it was like a Jolly Boys outing. You know, when they get on the coach and then they stay in some fantastic hotels, didn't they? Um, and yeah. like going through like France and into Italy. Um, yeah, and I, I actually thought it was it was done, you know, quite well. But the thing that amazed me when they played the, the German team at the end. Josie, which Josh knows really well my missus. She, she likes a football, but not really into football. So we we're watching it, and we have no idea what's wrong And she's more involved in that game than I've seen in any game. I She's like, No, you can't let him score. No, you haven't Oh, he's missed a chance. So I'm like, Calm down, Josie. It's like, I I to be. She went, No, no, it's against the Germans. Can't have that. <laughs> so she got invested into it, and it did, you know, they, I thought they did it really well at the end, you know, like, yeah, uh, at that game. So um, it was just good to see the. And the thing that made me laugh as well when Mur said when him and Razor had the, the ruck, he said you saw Mark Wright and uh, like Dave go <laughs> sort of look at their feet. We're not like we ain't getting involved in this. Yeah, <laughs> completely. We're Switzerland here. Yeah. So yeah. 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 yeah, I did enjoy it. Yeah. And and when you know the people, uh, I think they came across as again, no stars, no big time Charlies. Yeah, you
0: know, yeah.
1: working class boys who appreciated their careers and what they did. Uh, and then when you speak to players, there's there's two personas, isn't there? There's, there's the footballer and the person who's on the pitch and the public, you know, persona. But you got you got to remember that these these players are human beings, you know. And there is then the side of the uh, the doubt, self doubt. Do you know what I mean? The, your own inadequacies, your own fears, your frailties, and everybody has that. And I think you know that that sort of came across as well.
2: Yeah. I think, I, I guess from doing, you know, Player of the Legend for you know, six years now, you sort of realise with a, a lot of the ex-players and many of those in the show we, we've worked with, at, at the heart of it, they just love football and they love exactly. playing football and that came across. Um, but the, you know, big positive, I guess, on the show was being able to, you know, raise some issues like that scene where you've got Lee Hendry and, and Vinnie Jones. It was, you know, probably where are those two going to, Otherwise, they sat with each other, right? Like, I can't imagine their worlds. I mean, they're both like footballers, but their worlds are a little bit apart, I'd imagine. And yet it made for, you know, a really open, great discussion that, you know, I think, uh, you know, would have benefited a lot of people. So, yeah, they did a, they did they a did, good Josh,
1: job. Yeah, I think what they did, it ended up becoming like football, jolly boys out in, you know, these, these lads love their careers. And but then it became a little bit of a social experiment. You know, then it goes into, oh, you know, there's a bit extra that goes on. You know, I don't, I don't think they did it. The first one, I know, for fact, the first Harry's Heroes, they just did it as a, we're going to get you into shape. Do you know what I mean? You fat ex-footballers, mm. apart from Rage, who put on a pound, which is quite funny, but um, we're going to get you into shape so you can physically play a game. Then the second one then goes into the, the his, issues that players had off the pitch. So I think that was like, a, uh, like a, a subset, if you know what I mean. I don't think that was what it was looking for. And then that came out. <clears throat> a little bit extra. so. Um, but I, 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 I thought it made, you know, sort of very good television. And wouldn't mind, to be fair, I didn't realise that they had uh, a non-playing captain in Mark Chamberlain. That was a great, he had a great shout, didn't he? That yeah, normal, yeah, number. Well, yeah. I can't yeah. play, I'm injured. Happy day. <laughs> yes, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And
2: then yeah, no, there, was really... a, there, was, there was a few members of the cavalry that, that came out to play and were sort of acknowledged, but you didn't really get to see too much of them. The sort of extra five or six players that came out like, uh, was it Mickey, Mickey Gray? Gray there yeah. yeah. Well,
1: That's the thing is, as well, if you remember Josh feeling. in the first, um, uh, series, Lee Henry was the player that came out to play. He was the yes. one who, cause they, they need legs from somewhere. You know I mean, if they're Fortnite flies, you need someone a little bit younger as well. So you need extra bodies. Um, so that was probably a good gig for those guys as well, wasn't it? Saying, fancy fly night to Italy like for three or four days. Yep, happy days. I'll come and have a game of football. <laughs> so, and as you said there, I think they're like, especially as well, I think people saw with Merce, I don't think people realise how much Merce loves playing football. And he just loved, you could tell that he was probably the best, in the two series, Merce was probably the best player. You know, uh, yeah, that really came across. Yeah. yeah, yeah. and he, and he, he's like, I mind mean, you, know, I never saw. He was tracking back a few times. I never saw him do that when he played for the Gunners. So <laughs> really long-
2: no, <laughs> you're you're so right. I mean, whenever we've done an event like, uh, you know, where fans have had an opportunity to play with him, sometimes you get some of the ex-players who are like, you know, I, I want to play a half, maybe just after half time no, and they're to happy to lot. come off. Murse. I mean, if you even suggest the idea of him missing the last ten minutes of a game, would would look at you with uh, you know disdain. So uh, no, he absolutely loves football. Just a final question, uh, Perry How are you viewing sort of Project Restart? Are you assuming that football will be back now and around a month? And you know, you do so much work, at, you know, at Talksport or with Arsenal mm-hmm. around li- live mm-hmm. games. Have you missed it. You must be hoping it's back soon.
1: Yeah, very much. So it's not the same. Like, and the thing it's brought home. Football isn't anything without fans. Let's be, the reason that the Premier League is sold around the world, I know we've got great football's playing because the money's there, but our stadiums are always 98% full. So the actual, the the product looks fantastic, you know, when with full stadiums. And it isn't the same. But if you have to take it, just for the time being, that I'm watching live football, because I think there's different. There's football fans who love their football, which I do. So I'd watch football at the park. Do you know what I mean I'd watch any game? It doesn't bother me. And there's the new like football supporters that have come on who are like, oh no, I'm not going to watch it. You think, well, no, it's life. I've been watching the Bundesliga, you know, for talk sport. and I'm still watching live football. the the, um, the atmosphere is nowhere near, but there's different things you can pick out. Where the referees ain't getting as much stick as what they did before because players are frightened to cane them and look bad, so it's good for the referees. <laughs> yeah. um, I think it will start. Round about I think they're looking at the thirteenth of June, then they're talking about the twentieth. A lot of the managers now want the twenty seventh. I think it will start round about the the twentieth. But my take on it is again these the players have to realise the privileged position they're in because I've heard some players say, you know, they don't think it's safe, not gonna go back. That hundred percent is their privilege. They they can say that, right? That's not a problem. But then I don't think you should be paid because uh, the players that go into training, they're going to be training in the safest environment in the country of people going to work. They're all tested twice a week. They have their temperatures taken, they have their swabs taken. Everybody that they're training with are all tested twice, twice a week. And then you hear the analogies of some players saying, oh, it's like going over, you know, going to the uh, supermarket or going to get your shopping. When you're going to shopping, none of those people have been tested. You know, you don't, you, you've been tested. Everybody you're training with has been tested. And if they do get any positive tests, then you go into isolation. So you have to sometimes think about, you know, the privileged position that you're in. I say they have every right to say, I don't want to go in and I don't feel safe, but it's never going to be 100% safe until there's a vaccine. And that vaccine might not come until next year, year after. So it's never going to be 100% safe. But the, the footballers of today are in a very, very, Previous position of going into a work environment, how many people out there who are losing their jobs in the airline industry, do you know what I mean? I think, um, was it Rolls-Royce of laying thousands of people off, who would actually give their right arm for the chance to go back to work in a uh, an environment that is obviously completely disinfected and completely sanitized, everybody interested. So sometimes I think you've got to have a, you know, a bit of balance and a bit of sort of perspective about it. Um, and yeah, I, I, I think and it's proved in the Bundesliga that you know everything's fine. They're having their tests, and it's been okay from this weekend. Um, and yeah,
0: I, I agree. I think I think you're right. I think this, it feels this time is right, isn't it? Like mid to late June, you know, the the, the 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 everything's kind of you know things are getting better generally. You know, there are fewer cases of the virus and all of that. So it just feels like you have to go. You can't just stop football forever. You have to restart these things. Thousands
1: yeah, of jobs involved, yeah, exactly. And obviously, they're, they're, they're privileging as much they're tested like twice a week, and you know, the yeah. temperature is taken, so and everybody else is being um tested as well. So, um, and what I, what I would do, I think just quickly, Jamie Carroll had a brilliant idea about having the FA Cup when you know, if, if it's t- at the end of the Premier League season, and have the FA Cup over, he said seven days, but a 10-day period of, you know, the quarterfinals, yeah. semifinals, final, like a mini welcome. Because I,
0: yeah.
1: I want the importance of the FA Cup back. That would be like... But I would... I cannot believe that the five top leagues in Europe haven't said, UEFA, we ain't playing European football for next season. How can you have people flying to different countries or at different stages of... I can't see the European football being a priority. I want to get our domestic football, you know, sorted out first with... Obviously, Premier League, Championship, League One, League Two—that is our football pyramid—is far, far more important to me than what plan you know. Like Bayern Munich plan against Liverpool or Man City plan against Bayern Munich—we've we, got to get our domestic stuff sorted out first.
0: Yeah, completely. Yeah, totally. Right. Well, um, it's been brilliant having you on, Perry. We, we've run out of time. It's been an absolute joy. Thanks so much for coming on and those incredible memories, particularly of 1989. It's been—it's been amazing.
1: Cheers. My pleasure, boys. Keep the faith. Thank
0: you. We'll do. Cheers, Perry. Cheers, Josh. We'll be back next week. Cheers. Bye.
1: Wasn't that a great podcast? Now, if you've got ninety seconds spare in your day, come and listen to ours. It's called "What Has He Said Now," and is available wherever you got this podcast. You're gonna lose a number of people to the flu. This
0: is a playback media production. To listen to all our football podcasts, visit playbackmedia.co.uk.
1: Sports Social Podcast Network.